Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So first of all, let's look to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for again being the God of Abraham. And thank you, Lord, that we can say from our hearts, Hail Abraham's God and mine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis 22, 1, okay, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men or servants with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son. He took fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. They came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, or on it, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son, The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the son, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know, or I perceive, that thou fearest God, or that you are a God-fearer, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, or Jehovah will see. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of the heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, or will bless themselves, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young man, and they rose up, went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt, or dwelt still longer, Beersheba. Now, We saw in our last lesson, our last study, 
how God told Abraham in verse 2 these very important words when he said to him, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And we focused on that. We took a look at that, at how God only told Abraham that he was to go to this area, this region, this land of Moriah, to one of the mountains that God would tell him of. And that last phrase in verse 2 just captivated us, and we studied it, and we focused on it. We found it so interesting because it tells us so much about God and ourselves. We see in verse 2 that God told Abraham to take Isaac. We see in verse 2 that God told Abraham that he was to start walking with Isaac on a three-day journey into this land or this region of Moriah. And we see in verse 2 that God told Abraham that he was to take everything that he needed with him in order to make Isaac a burnt offering. And these were very explicit directions that God had gave to Abraham, and nothing was left for Abraham to second guess or to decide on himself. Everything was decided by God, and Abraham was just to obey the clear instructions that God gave him. So we can picture Abraham. We sit back and we picture and look at Abraham in verse 2, and we can imagine how Abraham is making it a checklist. And everything that God has ordered to do, okay? Take Isaac, check. Take the knife, check. Take the wood, check. Cut the wood, check. Take the fire, check. Go to the land in the region, head off in the land of the region of Moriah, check. And then God says at the end of verse 2, go to one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. Now, how do you put a check mark on that? To one of the mountains that I will tell thee of? Everything else is so explicit. How am I supposed to put a check by that? So God was so specific in telling Abraham, don't forget this, don't forget that, and everything you're supposed to do, be careful you follow it exactly the way I want you to do it, God says to Abraham. Why, with all of that, did God leave Abraham hanging on these last three days without identifying the mountain, saying to him, you know, God was giving to Abraham all those instructions, what he was to do. Why did God say, no, it's going to be this mountain, or why did he say it that way? But really, that's the most important instruction as to which mountain God was going to have Abraham offer Isaac. It was the most important instruction that God gave to Abraham when he says, it's going to be on one of the mountains that I'll tell you about later. And at that end of verse 2, Abraham could have stopped God right there, and he could have sit there and said, wait a minute, I don't understand. You gave me explicit directions, you say, the Isaac, the wood, the fire, the head in this direction. And you stop short. You tell me it's going to be the region. You don't tell me which mountain. Why don't you tell me now which mountain? You know, I'm a little familiar with Moriah. You could say, you know, between the two mountains, that one there, you'll find it. If Abraham would have said that to God, then God might have replied, nope, Abraham, I'm not telling you now which mountain it's going to be. And Abraham would have said, why not? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to put down my checklist? You know? And God would have said, for the mountain you are to go to, you write down on your checklist, Mountain TBS, yeah? <laughs> which is not Trinity Broadcast System. Yeah? It says Mountain, <laughs> Mountain to be shown. You know? 
In reality, that last instruction, mounted TBS, is the most important instruction on Abraham's list. Now, why do I say that? Because you see how important that last instruction is, mounted TBS, was we have to focus on these words that God says in, in, in verse 2, where he says, offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, and then these all-important word words, which I will tell thee of later. I will tell thee. These are very important words. God is saying, you go to one of the mountains, the last instruction on it says, you know, he puts all this checklist and, and he's got the end there that God's going to show me the mountain, mountain TBS to be shown. And so in essence, that last instruction is saying to Abraham, Abraham, stay tuned to God. Stay tuned to God. So he's checking off all of his things and he gets to the end and he says, stay tuned to God. And he says, check, I'm tuned into God. I'm listening to God. That last instruction, stay tuned to God, is the most important instruction for Abraham. Abraham was in the danger, and he didn't even know it, of the danger of what we could call the already haves. He was in a danger of already haves, and he didn't even know it. You see, Abraham was in a danger like this. He was in a danger, and he wasn't aware of it. He could say, well, okay, I already have Isaac, check. So why do I need God? I already have the fire, check. So why do I need God for this? All right, I already have the wood, check. What do I need God for? All right, I have a wood cut, check. I know the place, the region I'm going to, check. And Abraham could have very easily become all wrapped up in his already haves of his checklist of doing God's will and be in danger of, I don't need God. You'd be in danger of, you do not need, I don't need God anymore. And so to keep Abraham from not needing God, God gives him this last instruction, which is essentially saying, you have to stay tuned to me. Stay tuned to me to get the last instruction. It's all about the dangers of the already haves. That's what the end of verse 2 is really telling us. It's all about Abraham's danger of already have. See, like Abraham, like us, we can be so wrapped up in doing the will of God that we don't realize how much danger we're in of not needing God because of our already haves. See, the end of verse 2 is a warning for us. It's saying to us, you are in danger of not needing God from your already haves. We already have our salvation to meet our need of security. So why do I need God? We already have our Bible to meet our need for truth and to make us spiritually strong. So why then do I need God? We already have our church here, our fellowship, to meet our need for companionship, for fellowship, for camaraderie. We already have that. So why then do I need God? We already have our Christian music to entertain us, our need for entertainment. Why do we need God? We already have our minds and our memories to meet the need to create and teach Bible lessons and preach Bible sermons. So why do I need God? We already have our Christian spouses and our Christian friends to meet our need for companionship. So why do we need God? We already have our Christian homes to meet our need for a sanctuary of love and acceptance in the world. So why do we need God? We already have our health to meet our need for our strength. So why do we need God? See, the more already haves that we have, the less we need God. And we are so full. We get so full of our already haves that we don't realize how much danger we're in of not needing God. See, everything can run and operate without God. Our lives can operate without God. Our churches can operate without God. Everything, services, one, two, three. What do we need God for? Because without even knowing, we're in this great danger of the already haves of not needing God. And this not knowing how great a danger the already haves puts a Christian in is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ warned the Laodicean Christians of in Revelation 3, 17 through 20, when he said, because thou sayest, I'm rich, 
I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. In other words, I don't need God. And then he says, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee, buy of me gold tried in the fire, thou mayest be rich. White raiment, thou mayest be clothed, that thy shame of thy nakedness uh, do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with thy salt that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. How could there be such a disconnect between perception and reality? How is that possible that they could perceive themselves to be absolutely not in sync with reality? How could self-perception of these Christians in the church of Laodicea be so out of touch with reality? Their self-perception was, we're rich. Increased with goods. Reality, they were poor. Their self-perception was, we're in need of nothing. Reality, they were in great need of the Lord Jesus Christ, but because they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a sad picture in Revelations 3.20 of the Lord Jesus Christ standing there and knocking on a door that won't open to him. And he's outside the door. And inside of the wretched, miserable, poor, blinded, naked hearts, and they don't answer. They won't open. Why won't they open the door? Because of what they said in Revelation 3.17. Because thou sayest, I'm rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. Because they said, I have need of nothing. I don't need God. They said, I don't need God. They said, I already have. I already have my goods and so forth, so why do I need God? That was Abraham's danger. So God left Abraham with a need to know which mountain he was to go to. And Abraham would need God to show him. So God's saying to Abraham, you stay tuned to me, Abraham. That's our danger. Sometimes, sometimes God takes away the, what we already have so that we need God and we stay tuned to God. So with his last instruction in verse 2, we can see Abraham, he has, he's walking over his checklist, walking along. He's going over his checklist. Let's see, I have, I have Isaac, check. Okay, now I've got the fire, check. Okay, I got the wood, check. I got the wood cut, check. I've set off in the right direction, check. But for the mountain, I have to keep on asking, is this the mountain, Lord? Is this the mountain, Lord? Is that it over there? Is that over there? I got to stay tuned to God. See, there's a, this is a very important thing with this last part here. It's not God trying to be nebulous. It's not God trying to play games with Abraham. You know, Abraham is tense this time. And there's another reason. There's another reason why God told Abraham that he'd have to be shown where the mountain was. It was really tempting for Abraham to think as he walked there, maybe God didn't really tell me that I was supposed to sacrifice Isaac. Maybe his mind could play some tricks on him. I mean, you could say, you know, I'm, maybe, I'm not sure. Maybe it was like a bad dream or something. You know? So Abraham, I think, that maybe he just came up with all this sacrifice in his overzealousness to be devoted to God. So as a result, God keeps him in constant communication with him. The line's not to be broken. He'd understand. This is 100% from God. Every detail is 100% from God. And even the mountain, I'm going to choose the mountain. You stay tuned to me all the time. And that'll be a confirmation to you that all these instructions have come from God. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we understand every detail about his sacrifice was determined by God the Father. Was determined by God the Father. Everything, location, hill, where he be sacrificed, Daniel 9, 25, 26, know therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem 
unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score two weeks. The street shall be built again. The wall, even in troublous times, Roman time were troublous times, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, for the people the prince shall come to destroy, etc. Now, so we see here in verses 3, as we come now to verse 3 and 4, that Abraham starts out on his journey, and he's walking, as it says there, and he starts out, he's heard the instruction in verse 2, take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac, and uh, get thee into the land of uh, Moriah, offer him there. But it's not until the third day that God shows him the mountain, see verse 4, then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place far off. So there were three long days for Abraham. And the question is, how did he do it? How did Abraham do it? That's what we want to ask ourselves. I mean, how was Abraham able to not go crazy during these three days of extreme stress? I'm building a very close relationship with my only son, and I'm thinking to myself, I have to kill him and burn him. So how does he do that? Those were the hardest three days in Abraham's life. How does he keep from just melting into a nervous puddle of anxiety over it all? How do he do that? Well, that's a good question for us. We get faced with these things also. The key to knowing how Abraham was not consumed with the anxiety of all this is seen in verse 3. Now, verse 3, when you look at verse 3, it's kind of a remarkable verse because it's a verse of, like, details, details, details. You know, it's talking about saddling the ass and getting the wood and things like that. And he'd say to us, why are we reading this? You know, there's so much detail here in verse 3. I mean, Abraham has just heard the most shocking news he'll ever hear in his life. You know, you go kill and burn your son. That's shocking. And what Abraham did and what is described for us of what he did in verse 3, it teaches us how to receive shocking news. See, it's this detailed description here of exactly what he did. Look what it says. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddles his ass, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son. Now we're watching him cut the wood. Is that important for us to know that Abraham cut the wood in such a shocking news? But it's what it says. And he rose up and he goes to the place that God told him. See, what this is showing us is that in verse 3, with all the waves of anxiety and terror beating against Abraham... We see Abraham not yielding to those waves, but instead we see Abraham focused on what he needed to do that day. He was focused on what he needed to do that day. We see Abraham saying to himself, okay, I know that I've got a three-day journey in front of me, and I intend to obey God and kill and burn my son up. And that thought about the future has the potential to drive me crazy, to put me out of my mind. I could have a nervous breakdown over this. I have tachycardia and every kind of fibrillation there might be. That's going to be. And so I'm not going to think about the future right now, verse 3 is telling us. I'm going to stay focused on what I need to do now. And so right now, I'm not going to let my mind run wild into the future, into the terrors of the future, into the fears of the future. Right now, I need a donkey. <laughs> so, all right. So I got my focus, my attention to go pick out the donkey. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm going to resist thinking about the future. Right now, I need a saddle. I need to saddle the donkey. So I'm saddling my donkey. That's why this detail is given for us here in verse 3. Right now, I'm not going to think about what's life going to be like without Isaac. Right now, I need to go find two young men. And so that's what we see him doing in verse 3. Okay, right now, I could be overwhelmed with the fear of how am I going to do it? 
How am I going to plunge the knife into my son, cut his throat, burn him up? How am I going to do that? No, I'm not going to think about that. Right now, I need a knife. I got to go get a knife. Right now, I need wood. I got to go get wood. Right now, I need to cut wood. I'll cut the wood. See, there's a marvelous teaching for us in verse 3, and it's showing us what to do when we in our lives get this shocking news where we want to say, oh, no. You know, what are you supposed to do when you get the news? You've got cancer. Yeah. Or you get the news, this, the loved one has, is sick, he's going to die, or he's died. What are you supposed to do? Verse 3 shows us what to do. Stay the course. Do what needs to be done. Don't worry about the future. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, 34, he says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient, he said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so what he's saying in Matthew 6.34, he says, take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry or be anxious about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Tomorrow will have its own set, he's going to say, I guarantee you. <laughs> It'll have its own set of worries and anxieties. He said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. See, we've got to focus on that word sufficient. Think about that word sufficient. Think of a Jewish mother. And the Jewish mother says, sufficient, enough already. <laughs> I say, what? Today's troubles and anxieties are not sufficient for you? What's the matter with you? You have to go and borrow some of tomorrow's anxieties and worries because you don't have enough for today? It's enough for you, sufficient already. So this is what we see Abraham doing, just what he needed to do for the day. I need a donkey. I go get a donkey. I need a saddle. I go get saddle. I need a saddle donkey. I go saddle. I need two young men. I'm going to go get two young men. I need a knife. I'm going to get a knife. I need wood. I need a fire. I need a cut. That's what I'm going to do. I need Isaac. I'm going to go get Isaac. And so verse 3 is really telling us what Abraham did on day one. And he had enough to do on day one. And at the end of day one, as he had already set off, he was an exhausted man. And so he had a good sleep. He was tired. And that's a picture for us of how we're to cope with anxiety and stress. See, the devil, he's the master at bringing us on the rides where the stress and anxiety increase. He takes us, you know what the devil's place is at Disneyland? Tomorrowland. He wants to take us on the rides in Tomorrowland. Remember I told you about John's little five-year-old Chloe, granddaughter, and how she will not ride on any rides in Disneyland that she cannot see where it goes. You know, like Peter Pan ride and Alice in Wonderland ride. Those should all be banned. I don't know why they ever did those things. You know, they start off where you go into a dark cave. You know, she won't do it. You know, I'm with Chloe. We need to be with Chloe. I don't like those rides. No, because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take us into the Tomorrowland of these rides that start off with the dark caves. So what we see Abraham doing in verse 3 is he says, no, I'm going to stay in Todayland. I'm not going to Tomorrowland. I'm in Todayland. And that's important for us. That's important because Abraham is saying, I'm not going on any Alice in Wonderland ride. I'm not going on any Peter Pan rides in Tomorrowland. Because like Chloe, Abraham is staying in Todayland, and he's only going on the rides that he can see what he's got right in front of him. And when we're under a lot of stress and anxiety, God doesn't want us to let the devil take us on these rides in Tomorrowland. He doesn't want that. Because God's Tomorrowland is different from our Tomorrowland. And that's what he said in Jeremiah 33, 3, when he said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You have no idea. Which thou knowest not. See, that last phrase, you know, which thou knowest not, that's God saying, your tomorrow land is not my tomorrow land. 
So don't let the devil take you on these rides of Tomorrowland because that's not my Tomorrowland. God's Tomorrowland is expressed in Ephesians 3.20 where he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think or expect according to the power that worketh in us. See, God's Tomorrowland is exceedingly abundant above all that we can ask or think. See, when, and when we're in trouble, we have prayer to the God who has a different Tomorrowland because God answers prayer. That's what Moses was trying to tell, to, to make clear to the Jewish people about what their greatness really was. He says, look, your greatness is not in yourself. Your greatness is in the proximity of God to you. Your greatness is in the fact that God answers your prayers. That's what he said in Deuteronomy 4, 7, when he said, what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Deuteronomy 4, 7. And this is how Abraham coped you know, one day at a time, resisting letting his mind run into the future. Abraham decided, I'm going to obey God. This was Abraham's decision. I'm going to obey God. And so he set out, but he did it one day at a time. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.